This week on The Outsider Narrative, we discuss community engagement and the arts. I'm in conversation with Rabbi Susan Telby, founding rabbi of the Central Reform Congregation in St. Louis, Missouri, and artist Siona Benjamin. I had the opportunity to do fieldwork with Jewish communities in St. Louis in 2017. Central Reform Congregation, or CRC, as it's popularly known, is the only Jewish congregation located within the city limits of St. Louis. The core value of radical hospitality has made CRC a safe home for many individuals and groups that have been marginalized. Rabbi Susan, the founding rabbi of CRC, was ordained by Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati in 1981, where she earned a master's degree in Hebrew letters and a doctor of divinity. She was honored with the college's Stephen Levinson Award for Community Service after founding the Jewish Early Learning Cooperative, Ohio's first licensed infant child care program in the workplace. She was the first non-Christian to receive an honorary doctorate from Eden Theological Seminary in 2011 for a career of visionary and bold leadership and supporting interfaith relations in St. Louis community. She has been awarded honorary degrees from Washington University, St. Lawrence University, and has received many awards for her efforts on behalf of the Jewish and non-Jewish community. She has led her congregation in promoting radical inclusivity by developing ongoing relationships with African-American and Muslim congregations and by fostering civil liberties for the LGBTQ community. Today, CRC serves as a home to generations of LGBTQ families and to many Jews of color of all ages. A unique floor was installed at CRC, created by Siona Benjamin. We will be discussing the floor's art in this episode and also a book entitled The Zodiac Floor that emerged from this collaboration. Rabbi Susan shares her journey. You know, I came to St. Louis in 1981 to be at a suburban congregation with my husband. And while I loved the people, and of course, I loved serving in the Jewish community, uh, being a suburban rabbi to a primarily white congregation was what not why I became a rabbi. You know, I really believe that I became a rabbi to... Um, to see Judaism through a feminist lens and to move the margins to the middle. Those were two of my goals. And of course, I moved to a very um, racially divided St. Louis and found myself in the white suburbs where I was not terribly comfortable. It wasn't my comfort zone. And so after three years, I had the opportunity to leave and um, teach at a Jesuit university at St. Louis University. I started having babies and really didn't think that I would be able to be a congregational rabbi after that. But a small group of people were forming that had a different commitment and had a different vision. And I joined with them and we, you know, kind of birthed a whole new set of core values one being being committed to the urban core. We saw that because of white flight, Jews were leaving the city and it was leaving the city uh, without, you know, um, without the kind of resources, without the kind of energy that the city needed to be diverse, that the city needed to thrive. And so we, that was our first commitment was that we were gonna make a commitment to the, to the urban center of St. Louis. We also, it was the early 80s, and so it was also a time when the AIDS epidemic was scaring a lot of people, and we found that the LGBTQ community had no place to go because people were afraid of AIDS. 
and nobody was talking about it. And so we decided that we would also make a safe home for the gay community without having to make it a gay synagogue. We would figure out how to do that. We knew it would be hard. We knew it would be messy, but that also became one of our core values. And we also looked at the time at communities that were being left out, the margins, and it included Jews of color. It also, by the way, at the time in the 80s, included interfaith families because interfaith families at the time were being blamed for the dissolution of Judaism, for the, um, you know, kind of assimilation that was going on. And so we decided to do an experiment to create a community that was based on our core values. Again, in the words of, of, of a dear friend of mine, Dahlia Fidelia, who is a, a um, Palestinian, who is a great friend, she talks about moving the margins to the middle. And, and that's really what we were devoted to, not leaving anybody behind and making a place in our community for anyone who really wanted to enter and figure out what that meant. Because it meant changing, we, we learned, changing images. It meant changing language. It meant changing the way we prayed and the music that we used. What would be welcoming to people who had been marginalized? And of course, for 16 years, we were meeting in a church. So we didn't have a lot of opportunity <laughs> to you know, to, to build it into an abs, a, a, a building. And in fact, in that church, we weren't allowed to um, have any of our, we weren't allowed to keep anything there. Everything had to come back out into our cars or into a storage place, you know, when we, we would meet there. It was, it was a very kind church. And it, actually, the building that we built now 21 years ago is across the street from that church. So we still have a wonderful relationship with the people at the First Unitarian Church. But building a building gave us a whole new opportunity to take those core values of feminism, of anti-racism, of inclusivity, of rejecting homophobia, Islamophobia, and all of those phobias, and really being part of the antidote to structural racism and inherited poverty. Those were some of our goals. And so uh, 36 years later, we have a pretty inclusive congregation. We have a building where faces of color are built in, as you know, and um, where the board, the teachers, the congregation looks like the world we want to live in. I mean, uh, I have done field work in various congregations in Europe mm -hmm. as well as in the U.S. and in Israel. Uh, walking into CRC gave me a unique feeling of being part of a whole. And mm -hmm. uh, even without not knowing CRC's deeper story and when the building was built, I remember when I walked in, I thought it's very inclusive. I think also related to the building's architecture makes it possible because it's very circles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, but, but also the the dialogues within the warmth of uh, the members and of course of the leadership uh, yourself and I've met Rabbi Randy and of course uh, Rabbi Goodman. All of you make it possible to make that connection with you know. Uh, you have one of your very. Uh, cute programs for the kids called Mensch Makers, but I think all of you are Mensch Makers oh, in, in, bringing the, in bringing the community together. Um, how did you meet Siona? <laughs> A wonderful story. Siona appeared in my office um, one day and, um, and told me that she had been paying attention to us. And of course, I was mesmerized. Uh, by her art, by her vision, just by who she was and, 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 and how she was bringing, you know, her whole self to life. And I wanted a part of that. I wanted to be a piece of that. 
um, and how she was so hungry to use her art to tell the stories of, of, of our Jewish people in such beautiful ways. And so the first purchase we made was the Megillah Esther, the story of Esther, because what I saw just transformed everything for me. The story of Esther where Vashti is, follows Esther and becomes like her protector uh, in this beautiful um, Megillah that, that she's done. And, you know, the other thing, um, it's hanging in our synagogue and in a very prominent place. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a frame where the sons of Haman are actually hung and you see them hanging and you see uh, their faces. They look like, um, I don't know, terrorists. They, they just don't, they look like bad guys. <laughs> and, you know, someone, I, I did, someone said, are, are you sure you, because it's, it's right in the school area where the children walk by it all the time to their classes, to their Hebrew classes, to the services. It's prominent. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful images in it as well. It's the story of saving the Jewish people. But, but I'll tell you, the children appreciate the honesty. The children appreciate that you can have truth wrapped in beauty. And that's what Siona does. She wraps the truth in such beauty it transforms the people that experience it. And your members in the congregation have also had a chance as a result to interact with Siona, which has resulted in this wonderful book as well with your collaboration called The Zodiac Floor. Yes. Uh, so uh, what made you want to collaborate on the book with Siona? Um, I, from the time we, we imagined building a building, mm-hmm. um, I, I got to really imagine this building. I dreamt this building. I wanted, I wanted everything to be round. And, and, of course, we couldn't afford all of the round edges. But when you walk in, the, the big welcoming space we call the Oneg, which means joy, um, has the, this 15-foot in diameter ceramic floor that brilliant Siona created. But I, it, it took a long time to figure out what to put there. And I had this vision even before the, the, the synagogue was built. And so the architect carved out a circle for me in the cement. And so that when we figured out how to do, I wanted a Zodiac floor. I had seen the Zodiac floors in Beit Alpha and the, the you know, influenced floors and in, 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 um, you know, in, in northern um, Israel, in the Galilee, uh, these zodiac floors, they, they blew me away. I said, how is it that these rabbinic floors, you know, from the, the fourth to the sixth centuries, why did the rabbis put a zodiac with, with, with figures, anthropomorphic figures and gods on their floors? I was really, really taken by that. And so I decided we were going to have a floor like that. If we were going to have a building, we were going to have that floor. Now, the second thing that happened was I, I studied with um, a, a wonderful rabbi called Arthur Waskow, who in, in one of his books called Seasons of Joy, connected the holidays, each one to the other. So I wanted the Zodiac, but I also wanted a floor where people could walk the holidays, Walk from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, walk from Yom Kippur, you know, to um, Sukkot, and really tell the story of how the holidays are connected, that you cannot have Passover without Purim first, and, and how it's a cycle. So that idea was, you know, something I was, I was wed to for a long time. And then we finally got this building, and they built in this circle. They covered it over with this wood. But it was there. And I just, I struggled with, how do we do this? The idea of a mosaic just 
got too difficult and was too hard to imagine. And I just hadn't met the right artist. Mm-hmm. And, and I think your spirit of progressive feminist Judaism kind of merges also at the very core of the zodiac floor is um, Dina, the daughter yeah. of Jacob. And this right. is kind of interesting that she doesn't get a tribe of her own, but she builds a tribe, and which is kind of a radical radical mm-hmm. for her times, but also very human. Um, that, you know. Well, th- and that, that's so important in this floor. I, I not only wanted the Zodiac, I not only wanted the holidays to be connected, but I wanted to, I wanted it to reflect um, our feminist values. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to reflect the faces of the children, the non-white children that walk into that building. I want them to know they are built in. They are not marginalized here. They are part of this floor. And so uh, Siona and I decided to take a, a group to India. That's really where the idea was born, I think, right? We took this group to Jewish India. Siona was the artist. I was the rabbi. <laughs> and um, we had this wonderful group and we were on the bus a lot and one day on the bus I shared with Siona we went to Jantar Mantar in Jaipur which was a huge astrological park I'm not sure that was the day but I I think we had spoke I had told Siona about my vision for the floor and she said I can do that (laughs) it's as simple as that I can do that it's like that's nothing I can do that I can figure this out. And so that idea was was born. And mm-hmm. it took about a year and a half of meeting, of um, designing, of deciding which women would be which holiday, because all of the holidays, including our dear Dina, the Shekhinah right in the middle, they're all depicted by women. Yeah. And they're all pretty much women of color. Siona, uh, what appealed to you about CRC and, of course, about uh, your first impressions of Rabbi Susan as well? Do share. Sure. Um, I remember going to Rabbi, somebody told me about Rabbi Susan in St. Louis, and I lived in Carbondale at that time. And uh, we we went up to St. Louis for one of her services, and, oh, my God, I was so struck. I was like, who is this high priestess? <laughs> Oh my God! This is not. This is not true. This can't be true. Then I made a. I made an appointment with her, and I went to see her, like she said. And I just wanted to meet her and just share my art with her, and tell her that you know I knew from the very beginning that um, I shared her vision and so many things that that she represents. And so, I think um, what is really important. I was just thinking while you guys were talking just now too that it is so important in life to meet people who you can collaborate with and you can share a vision with and you can grow with. I think that is the most important thing in life that, you know, you can make art by yourself, like in in seclusion, nor can you get inspired. And so it's not just going to an art museum and looking at famous artworks and saying I'm inspired, but it's also meeting people with similar missions and goals and uh, visions for what they see, what society is, what they see, they want to see happen. And so I think I'm lucky to have met a few people like that. And Rabbi Susan is one of them. Um, I think my my work um, and my my goal is very similar in 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 my medium, which is art, to her her medium, which is you know her rabbinical. Uh, teachings and her her work with the community is very similar, and I think um, I can almost I, I can always work with people like that because it's just um, so much of learning and so much of sharing at the same time. So, so I I I, I just I mean I lived in Carbondale. I wish I lived in St. Louis. I still <laughs> wish I she was her congregation was closer. I'd be there every Friday. I don't go to Shabbat at any synagogue here anymore since Rachel has my daughter has done her bat mitzvah because I don't feel that motivated. My art has become my prayer. But if it was a synagogue like Rabbi Susan's, I would go more often. <laughs> 
just because it's so it's not just about mindlessly praying it's also about learning the missions for what the the different missions that they follow that i could also get involved in because that is part of the tikkun mm-hmm. that is part of the service and that is part of being jewish or a human being actually so yeah i think the core part of what impressed me when i was doing field work in st louis was not only would she um refer to the portion of the torah or maybe a, a story from the talmud but she would refer it with a story from the contemporary times either from within the community or within what was happening in st louis and blended so very well and there's a compliment in kind of the role of midrash in your art and her her storytelling and uh you know talking to everyone on shabbat and giving messages from the community as well as interacting the, that dialogue with community members and and leadership i think it 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 does complement don't you think yeah I, i think so very much i think finding the the right combinations of those kind of people to who understand your similar vision so you know when we did the floor for example we knew that they were going to be going to be representing all different kinds of people in there right so and i already had that in my work and she already had that in her work and so you know mm-hmm. just coming coming together and sort of uh, collaborating to make that happen was um not tedious at all you know it was it just flowed mm-hmm. and it was just a matter of like brainstorming and being excited about it and um you know to find those side of so those side of combinations um it's hard and when you do when you do find it you treasure it <laughs> mm-hmm. you know you don't let it go you don't take it for granted you know a great example of that was you really already had the image of sarah and hagar sharing that third eye but when i saw that i said that's rosheshana that's those two mothers sharing that third eye those two mothers with that drop of blood between them challenging us to wonder is this the blood of the conflict between our children or is this the blood of the you know heritage that we share right the bloodline that we share and um you know to be able to tell that story with Sarah and Hagar right there you know um so obviously beautiful with their hijab and their kippah you know um but so connected is you know is it was not it was a natural for rashid it was perfect and then the way that you took haman's beard and you turned them into miriam's beautiful hair right with the full moon right of pesach right there from purim to pesach you took us so that we recognize the the tension between the yetzer harana yetzer hatov the good inclination and the not so good inclination it's there there's there are no simple it, it, i think you called it once menorah art <laughs> there's no menorah art in this floor there no it's not simple and yet there isn't an age that doesn't appreciate the floor it is a floor for all ages you know for all people there's something in it for everyone i lens in interesting styles of not only stories but also art it has like the shafardic style teak holding the torah scroll calling uh, where it says shema um mm-hmm. so that to the calling is also intercultural as well as uh, yes intercommunal Yes, it was very important for us to be in, really inclusive. I mean, we we have to walk the walk. Right, you have to walk just not talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And I wanted to say like that the the image of Sarah and Hagar for example, which I had done already a painting of something similar to that. Um, you know, and then we got inspired to kind of reuse it but in a slightly different way. I think it is so 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 important. I found I wanted to men, I wanted to say this that um you meet people who you think you can uh collaborate with or you can affiliate with or who understands who you are and then you find uh the person doesn't come through because 
So, you know, you could meet um, a very Jewish person whom you think will understand the Jewishness in your in my work or or an Indian person who would understand the Indianness in my work, but then that person doesn't because they are actually opposed to certain things that you're you're fighting for or you're working for. And then the most remotest person whom you believe who you don't believe will ever understand, you know, sort of just uh, totally gets it, so to speak. And that is the beauty of it. Like so, I, I mean, even though Sarah and Hagar are 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 embracing each other. I have met so many Muslims, for example, who I grew up with, who are so like my sisters and continue to be my friends. And then I meet Muslims who are very much into pitting Jews and Muslims against each other. Or I meet similarly Jewish people who I know are very close to because I grew up with Ashkenazi or, or, or Sephardic or my own community also in, in my own Indian Jewish community. And they would then even though they've grown up with Muslims, they would say they don't believe in that unity anymore. And that is heartbreaking. That is really like, you know, for the work of what Rabbi Susan is doing and I'm doing. And that's what I share with people like that. So you can never tell. You could, I mean, my very close relative in Israel could not believe in that unity of Sarah and Hagar. Mm -hmm. And the most, yeah. And, and sometimes some people do, you never know. And sometimes you would think when you embrace um, a person who's the other or different from you, say a Muslim or somebody else, and then they don't like you in return because of the fact they associate you with just being Jewish and therefore associated with Israel. And that is what is heartbreaking when you feel like saying, no, 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 don't judge me. I mean, th there's no place on this planet that has not been a perpetrator to other people. So don't judge another country when you're standing on the soil of of a country which has done so much perpetration towards other people, Native Americans, African Americans. So I would never raise a finger standing on somebody else's land and say, you've done wrong to somebody when I myself had done, have, could have done something or my kind of people could have done something like that. So I think that Sarah and Hagar sort of represents that, that hopeful unity that should happen, but doesn't always happen. You're listening to The Outsider Narrative this week, I'm in conversation with Rabbi Susan Talvey, founding rabbi of the Central Reform Congregation in St. Louis, and artist Siona Benjamin. Stay tuned. And, you know, it, it breaks down stereotypes. This floor, this floor, being in a synagogue, <laughs> right, breaks down racial bias. It breaks down stereotypes. You know, it's built on 12s. So there's these 12 major holidays. There's the 12 zodiac signs. There's the 12 Hebrew months. There's the 12 tribes. There's the 12 mudras. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're all there, all these, these sacred 12s. And then, of course, we have Dina the Shekhinah right in the middle. But I want to tell you, um, you know, there's a story. I hadn't really thought about this. And I'm not sure Siona knows this, but before the pandemic, every year, We've been visited by a group of, talk about, you know, outside the box, Pakistani um, um, journalists. And because they're connected to a journalist that we know, he said, I want to bring them to the synagogue. I'll bet they've, and these journalists to a one, I mean, we've done it for about 10 years and none of them ever knew um, a Jew and none of them had never been in a synagogue. <laughs> so you know they would come every year and we'd talk and talk but when when they started coming with the floor when the floor was there that's became the centerpiece of our conversation they would stand on the floor I mean with, then we would go into the library and we would talk some more you know because you know they, the the idea of a woman rabbi also kind of blew these Pakistani all Muslims away right but you know we would talk and oh yeah then when we got into it, because, you know, the floor brought up a whole lot of other issues. But when they would stand on the floor in the very beginning, when we would welcome them in and I would take them around and we would get to Tish Abba'av, the, um, the day, the saddest day in the Jewish year when 
all destruction happens, right? It was when both temples were destroyed, all the bad things happen on the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av, but also the Messiah is going to be born. So a few things in this frame always sparked amazing conversations and turned a lecture into a, turned this, this relationship into something sacred, mm-hmm. turned into opening our hearts to each other. Because first I would show them that the messianic figure is a trans person of color trans on your floor I said yes we're very welcoming to the queer community here you know and we'd get into that and then they would look closer they would look closer at the image of the temple mount and that what they would see is the mosque of Omar Mm. the golden dome where Mohammed rose to heaven you know but also where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, right? The gateway to the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And they would see the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is one of the holiest mosques in all of Islam. Mm -hmm. And they would see that. We preserved those two mosques. Siona preserved those two mosques on the Temple Mount. Mm -hmm. And they would say, look, there's our mosque. I said, yes, (laughs) that's because we're committed to keeping them there. We're not going to ever do anything. To, to change that. We're committed to the way the world, you know, needs to be so that we can all live together in peace. And I'm telling you, that, Pete, that conversation that we have because of the floor, we never had it before the floor, because of the floor, when we enter into the other parts of the conversation about what they want to learn about Judaism and America, it's, it's, it's with our hearts open and our minds more open because of the art of the floor, the artistry and the storytelling in the floor. So these people, these journalists are mostly, um, are they originally from Pakistan? They're Pakistani American or? Oh, they're not American. They're, they come, there's a, it's a, um, they come with FBI. They, they come with the state department. It's a, it's a state department. It's one of those things I think they probably created like Fulbright, you know, just yes. to um, make relationships between countries that don't normally have them mm-hmm. in a, in a, you know, it's, it's kind of like AID and all those things that our government does that most of us don't know about. So right. the government has this program where they bring Pakistani journalists and where do they bring them? St. Louis. Oh yeah. And, and are they from like places like Karachi and places like that? Or A lot of them are from small places. Smaller places because Karachi, I don't know. They would, I don't know if they would know or not, but they, Karachi used to have a synagogue, not yeah. anymore. And there's yeah. still a Jewish cemetery in Karachi for the Pakistani Jews. So this is something that, you know, some Pakistanis don't know that there were many Jews in Pakistan, which was not Pakistan at that time, it was part of India, of course. But, you know, also the fact that my grandmother, I I, under, I heard, was born in Quetta, Pakistan. Right, I remember. My, yeah, my, uh, my mother's well, mother. Yeah, well, when they see how, you know, the blue on the floor and they see the saris and they see, you know, they see the mudras, they say, wait, what is this? <laughs> You know, but then they see also the the mosque and, you know, and they see Hagar. They see Hagar, right. We did yeah. not leave Hagar out. We didn't leave Hagar. She's yeah. the one, you know, she's the mother, you know. Yeah, she's also um, a, a prophetess, as, just like Sarah is. As, yeah, and so you yeah. make sure that she stayed in. And uh, mm-hmm. this is something that I learned also, you know, that, um, you know, brave, brave leaders have the guts to do that. <laughs> and I think um, that's what gives you the courage to also... Yeah, because of Rabbi Susan, uh, CRC stands as really an example of possibility of transformation within what happens when there's a possibility of transformation within a community. I think, I think her leadership as well as your art is so complementary that really pushes this pushes this aim of CRC forward. Well, I can say that there is no, there is no art without the proper patron, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> so well, we're not done. We're still, we still have a, you know, the other thing on that note that I'd, I'd love to say is that, you know, transformation can be measured. Um, there are indicators and we are an integrated community today because of the, you know, the, the bold steps that, that, and, you know, it's not me, it's, it's a congregation that, that does this work. And I, I keep hearing from um, Jews of color um, that there isn't a place they go where people ask them, why are you Jewish? You know, I have a friend who's a, who's a, a woman rabbi who, who is black. And she says, I, I go in there as the rabbi, I say I'm the rabbi. And they say, are you Jewish? You know, <laughs> Because she's black. I mean, it's really nuts. That does not happen at CRC. Yes. If you're black or brown and you're in the congregation, we, this, the culture has shifted. Nobody will ask you, you know, what are you doing here? Are you Jewish? You know, people will assume, regardless of the color of your skin, if you're there, that you're, that you're Jewish or you want to be, or you want to be with us. And, and nobody said, nobody, you know, asks that crazy question you know, to question someone's identity because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. But also on, an, on a meaningful, on an on a artistic level, mm-hmm. there is also an interesting mix of um, Islamic Mughal art adopted into, uh, mm-hmm. adopted into the zodiac floor. But there's also um, certain... I mean, what appears to me like uh, some images of African Cubist art, which is depicted into the floor, particularly with uh, in the month of Elul, uh, the lady sitting in, uh, the the mother, the transformation depicting the birth and the, you know, the re-beginning of life again, coming to circle. I think that that also, um, on one hand, it's it's kind of... a South Asian woman, perhaps, but at the same time has some African nuances. Yes. Uh, it seems like it, it seems really those layers in the art also open up with with every with every uh, with every season, with every every month. Is there a favorite? Is there a favorite month of yours, Rabbi Susan, which is depicted in the zodiac floor? <laughs> That's such a hard question. I love them all so much. I love my trans messianic figure. I love Saren Hagar. Oh, I love Judith cutting off the head of Holofernes. I, I just love them all. But, you know, I will say something about Hannah, our beautiful black pregnant woman there. Because um, while we were doing the floor also, um, a, a study came out in St. Louis called For the Sake of All. And it's a study that talks about disparities in healthcare. And one of the most disturbing disparities is that uh, women of color have um, a higher infant mortality rate and maternal mortality rate. I mean, it's crazy. It's like not even twice as much, it's like four times as much. And it was shown, and it's not because of poverty, it's not because of prenatal vitamins, it's because of the stress of racism, of living with the stress of racism, and that's the cause. So to have this beautiful, naked, pregnant, brown woman birthing the new year, a healthy, you know, what we say, a healthy new year, right, Um, was very meaningful for me personally to make that commitment that this is a vision of the way things are meant to be. Um, a funny story about that, that woman is that when, when Siona first drew her, she had very perky breasts. <laughs> one, of the, one of the people on the committee said, you think the kids are gonna be like, you know, they're gonna giggle? So the only, the only, I didn't, thing that we ever changed on the floor was we made her breasts a little less perky <laughs> and we also and we also put little uh, we, we did we put design on her skin so it looks a little bit like she's covered and she's got some tattoos you know on her skin so she's not completely naked, completely like, naked. <laughs> she has like some kind of lace on her just to make her not 
but you know we had to still keep the form of her pregnant brown body so if mm-hmm. i put clothes on her it would have taken away from that brown skin that we wanted to really display you know so it and was again, the kids can handle it they love it they love this floor you know Um, has the floor got some attention from other congregations within um, St. Louis? Have they uh, seen any members of the leadership or maybe artists or writers within uh, other synagogues in congregations in St. Louis? Um, we've had a couple of programs. Um, I think now that we have the book, mm-hmm. now that we have the book, I think... Um, more people will uh, understand right. the significance, the, the, the importance, and, and as you said, the transformational nature of having this kind of artwork built in to the synagogue. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Susan, tell me, you're uniquely placed in the Midwest, and, uh, <laughs> and your vision is also, I, uh, where people say it's radical, but I think you're very normal. Um, I think, you know, progressive understanding is such a relative term, <laughs> you know, what is, what is obvious from the right's perspective when not given and turns radical and progressive, right? So how important is feminist leadership um, in Judaism? Uh, how, how important is feminist leadership in Judaism in today? in today's world? How do you see that? Well, just as I see feminism as essential for um, the transformation of a violent world to a world that puts our children first, um, a world where, um, you know, the bottom line is, is uh, profit, rather than the health and well-being of the next generation, we need feminist values to transform that because otherwise we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. So, you know, I listened to Nancy Pelosi talk about how she's a grandmother and she's making decisions because she's a grandmother. That's part of it. That's part of the, the feminist revolution, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I see it as, as so essential in Judaism you know, um, understanding texts, as, as you said, Roe, making them relevant, using the wisdom of our texts to help us understand human nature. My husband and I are reading the Psalms every morning. We started before the um, election, right after the first debate. We just, and, and we started with Psalm 1. And we're up to Psalm 104. Every morning we offer a different psalm. And I'm finding that I lifting up the, the, the um, teachings that, of the psalmist singing, I feel like I can add a, my perspective You know, when I was in rabbinical school, there weren't a whole lot of women. It was in the um, late 70s. Right. And we had just, you know, Sally Presan was just ordained in 1972. And so they, they made a place for us, but they didn't change anything. And um, that's not why I became a rabbi. I came, became a rabbi to change some things, to give women voices, to make sure women's voices were heard, um, to make sure that, you know, Um, one of the examples that I, I give is when I was in rabbinical school, um, um, Susan Brownmiller's uh, work on rape came out, a very, you know, important work. And, and um, you know, there's a teaching in Judaism that if you get raped in the field, you're to be believed. But if you're raped in the city, you're not to be believed. Why? Because... In the field, probably if you screamed out, nobody would have heard you. But in the city, surely you would have screamed and someone would have heard you. But Susan Brown Miller, so that was the, the, the teaching from the rabbis. And there was really no commentary that, that, that argued with that. But when Susan Brown Miller's book came out, she said, don't scream because you'll, you'll get killed 
whether you're in a field or you're in the city, women don't scream because they want to preserve their lives, right? There was, there's this whole conversation around that. And, you know, of course, what the rabbis were concerned with was adultery, but it was only adultery for the woman. The man wasn't adultery for a man. So there was this double standard and there was this misogyny and sexism built in to a lot of our tradition that needed women's voices to challenge. And I tried to challenge those, some of those in rabbinical school, but they weren't quite ready for it yet. But today, today they're ready. And it just took more and more women, more and more men listening and um, opening up and listening as we're trying to do with these Psalms between the lines of the text, because it's there. There is, there are a lot of women's voices there. We just have to amplify them because they do bring a different sensibility to how we are going to try to make the world a, a better place. You know, the Psalms, believe it or not, are all about equity. The, 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 the final goal, if you read them carefully, they're all about equity. They're about justice and mercy and kindness and equity. And how do we get there? Through the arts, through poetry, through the psalmist giving us their poems and their songs. Possibly also through transformative peoplehood, which you are so very much bringing into CRC. Yes, the transformational peoplehood. And, and uh, that's who we are, right? We are a people that believes we can change the world. That's why people are mad at us a lot of the time. If they like the way the world is, <laughs> they're going to be mad at people who want to change it. But also, uh, your one recent radio interview where you talk about your multicultural, you know, your mixed family that you grew up in also, Rabbi, mm -hmm. and how that affected you, uh, that, that, that uh, radio interview gave me so much more insight into your childhood and what made you believe yeah. in all the things that you are like you know the the way you were raised and how your your uh, you know half sephardic and half uh, yeah i mean my parents it was considered a mixed marriage in in, in their time in the 19 early 1950s right it, my dad was you know his family spoke spanish foods my mother never dreamed of, you know, um, and, and my mother's parents who came from England and, and Russia, you know, they thought my father was Puerto Rican. They, they didn't imagine that there were Jews like that, right? And so the two of them coming together was, um, you know, there was a cultural clash that created something new, <laughs> I like to think. Yeah, and that's where I think the seeds of uh, this kind of uh, belief and thinking some very often spur, you know, they, they spawn. I can see that with my own daughter, like, you know, coming from uh, mm -hmm. being, being exposed to other cultures that a lot of families don't expose their kids to, you know, or like they say, oh, you know, you know, we, we know of so-and-so, so-and-so kind of Spanish people in our school, or we know Indians in our school, or we know African-Americans in our school, but are you really friends with them? Mm -hmm. Do they come to your home? Do you go to their home? Do you right. sometimes break bread together? Do you, can you say that you have a truly diverse group of friends? And I think very few people, at least, I don't know, sometimes in America can they know a lot of people, they know off a lot of people, they are acquaintances, but, you know, they really don't, they, they, they're not friends with them. Um, and I think... Friendship takes time. It takes time, yeah, to really understand who the other person is. And especially if you expose your kids to that diversity and you take them to other countries or to other cultures, forget about another country, take them to other cultures within our, our, our country. I think that makes such a difference that they understand um, that when they grow up, they will say something like, my daughter told me, she's like, I don't see any color with my friends. I just don't, I just see the person. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, then I felt like, wow, I was kind of successful in you know, making her understand that she went to India so many times and she went to Israel and she also went to Europe, but right. you know. Um, she's had that exposure. Right, right. And she does have so many multicultural friends that, 
-hmm. it makes me believe that you know um that was i was successful in making her understand that but um i think so many people don't understand that and i think that's the problem so i, I i'll give you a quick example just yesterday i won't tell you where i gave a presentation with another person another scholar and um i see they were talking about like the presentation is about my forthcoming book on the on growing up jewish in india with ori actually it was in the venue and the, one of the people after the whole presentation of jews in india and about my art in it in, in its place in it one of the questions was is she still a practicing jew and I, and ori was like what <laughs> Like, I mean, did you, were you like not awake for the last whole hour? Like this whole book is on Jews in India, you know? So like the, just, the, just not able to understand the other. And after listening to a whole hour's conversation and a book coming out, still not being able to understand and asking the question, like, is she still a practicing Jew? That means this all didn't seep into the person's mind and heart that, you know, what they just heard for a whole hour of Jews being in India for 2000 years. So it was just like, you know, it was mind boggling. So you don't know where to begin to answer that question. You know, it's so interesting. I just uh, was working together with um, um, another rabbi, a woman of color, and we're working on a um, kind of a, a racial justice audit <laughs> for congregations. And one of the things that we talk about is um, developing deep listening skills just what you're talking about. <laughs> because if people aren't listening, you know, if they're really not listening, it's not going to change them. They're not going to hear. You know, we, um, when we just, we decided as, as you started, you know, we made a commitment to being in the city, even though the Jews were moving out into the suburbs. We said, we have to be there. We have to be where the action is, you know, where the suffering is. And because we were there, we were able to develop relationships that we never would have been able to develop from the suburbs, right? We had to be there. We had to show up. We had to show people that we meant business, that we were, we wanted to be there. And, um, and, and, and we developed very early on, even before we had a building, we developed a relationship with a black church. And that was the first thing that we did. We listened to each other. We had dinners together, you know, we, we, we had coffees together. We listened. You, and know? you, have, you have protested with them. You, you well, yeah, and ultimately when Ferguson happened, yes. it was because we had those relationships that we earned a, a place at the table. We were there. We could be there. Yeah. Um, even with all of the Ferguson to Palestine stuff, you know, uh, which was very complicated, um, we could be there because we had earned our place at the table.